0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History on Facebook and on Twitter at Snapshots in Well, I didn't think I'd ever say this, but I can honestly say the NHL playoffs are killing this podcast. Last night, I stayed up too late watching playoff hockey. I watched the Colorado Avalanche go to four overtimes and end up pulling it off. I watched the Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins and pretty much was an offensive slugfest, 6-4. to It's been a lot of goal scoring during this playoffs. It's been fun to watch. Um, But with that said... It's now 530 in the morning. I think I've slept for about three hours because I was watching hockey and I was sitting in bed, doing a little bit of work, working on the podcast as well. And next thing you know, I got to be awake because I've got to go work at the real job. So I apologize. This is going to be pretty short um, and sweet. Plus, everybody wants to hear Gino. I can't believe the feedback we got on part one of our interview with Gino. He was great. And in part two, he talks a ton about Pavel Bure, especially talks about what gave me a laugh was there's a local bar that they used to hang out at called the Atrium Inn. He talks a little bit about that and hanging out with Pavel there, as well as traveling to Dallas, playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. He didn't actually play in the Stanley Cup finals, so we didn't touch a, a ton on that New York Rangers series because I wanted to kind of get his perspective on it as a guy that watched the series. So we talked about it a little bit but really didn't go that much more in depth. I'd like to have probably a Ranger that was on that team probably talk more about that series or somebody like Kirk McLean. Hopefully I can get them on the show and we can go more in depth in that series at some point. Um, quick thank you to all, everybody, everybody that listened that retweeted this thing out. I was blown away by how many retweets we got and shares on social media and emails I got. There are two in particular that I, I want to thank. There was a gentleman from Germany. Let me see if I can find his name. Voidad Yarsina from Germany said hello, greetings. I'm a fan of the podcast. Really enjoyed part one. Keep up the work. So, really appreciate it when people reach out like that. Thank you, Yudoid, and I apologize for butchering your name, but appreciate you reaching out. I really enjoy hearing from everybody. Also, Alan Walsh retweeted the thing Superstar Agent uh, from Octagon. I thought that was awesome. Alan, thank you for doing that. Huge fan of yours. Huge fan of Marc Andre Fleury. A friend of mine shot me a text while I was working yesterday and said, hey, do you realize that you're on Alan Walsh's Twitter feed and he's listening to your podcast? I thought that was awesome. So thank you, Alan, for doing that. Appreciate the retweets. Also, Jamie Rivers retweeted it out. Uh, Jamie, of course, prior guest. Probably one of the funniest episodes we've ever done that's available in our archives. Go back and check it out. We're going to have him back on. I know he wants to talk about his season with the New York Islanders, so we're going to do that. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and cut to part two of our interview with Gino Otacek. I know you've been asked this a hundred times, but I've got to ask you because it's one of the best relationships in hockey. You and Pavel Bure, can you kind of talk about your friendship? How did you guys even get connected? I mean, you're from Quebec, Canada. He's over here. He's just affected from Russia. What brought you guys together?
1: Well, we were both 20 years old and we were both single. (laughs) And there was an older team where everybody was married. And as soon as he came, I... I took it upon myself to teach him English. I asked him, what English do you know? He goes, I only know. I love you. I need you. I want you. From so <laughs> Elvis Presley.
0: <laughs> so how did you teach him English? Just talking,
1: slow words one at a time. And uh, he picked up really quick. And we just headed it off from there. Uh, I mean, if anybody tried to hit him on the ice, I was always the first guy there to protect him, and he appreciated that.
0: I've heard this is a rumor I heard from another player, and I don't know if this is true, so maybe you can confirm or deny. Even two years after you were traded, nobody would still touch Pavel because they were afraid you'd come after him. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's true. I love it.
0: I got to ask, you're two, you're 20 years old, you're single guys. What was his favorite drink at the atrium inn? Vodka. vodka. Did he ever tell you about his defection at all? No, we we
1: talked about it, but uh, I didn't really ask how he defected or anything it was all over the news. So I didn't ask him how he did it or whatever. I know he married a model to make sure that he got his American citizenship. If things didn't work out in Vancouver.
0: Oh, wow. No idea. Yeah. There were always rumors from what I understand that Trevor Linden and Pavel Bure did not necessarily see eye to eye.
1: Was there any truth to that? No, there is no truth to that. They were both, uh, there to win. And, uh, They were both competitive guys, and Paddle was a superstar, and Trevor was a good player, and very popular in Vancouver. And uh, they just, uh, they weren't guys that would stick together all the time. Trevor was married, and uh, right. but when they came on the ice, they worked hard together.
0: And I found that there's usually, from interviewing players, there's two groups. You have the married guys and the single guys. And it makes sense, because the married guys are going to go home and be with their families, typically. So I can understand why, you know, they weren't best friends like you guys were, but, but they, they got along and going into this next series, it's going to be against the Dallas stars. Gino, I I know you had been scratched and I could tell by the sound of your voice. You're not happy about it. Where are you during all this? What are you thinking going into this series? Uh,
1: what were your thoughts? Just stay in shape and get ready. I knew I got my chance and I got back in there for some games. So uh, I was a team player. I knew, I knew what was up and, uh, guys were playing good and everybody was just, everybody was waiting their turn.
0: And this was the first season that the Minnesota North stars had relocated to Dallas hockey at this time with Gary Bettman was starting to expand. You had the California stuff going on a few years earlier. What do you remember about heading down to Dallas to play in the NHL in the early nineties? What were those? What was the arena like? What were the fans like?
1: Well, had good fans. It was, it was okay. Rank, it wasn't, it wasn't a new building yet, but, uh, they had good fans, and it was, it was fun going there. It was beautiful weather, and the restaurants were amazing. Uh, they had one of the best restaurants at that time in the league, and we used to always go there and uh, enjoy ourselves or go for long walks because the weather was so
0: beautiful. Oh, it was probably nice during the winter, especially in February, to get down there. You don't remember the name of the restaurant by any chance, do you?
1: No, I don't. Just was curious. It was an Italian restaurant, but I don't remember the name.
0: It didn't take long for the Vancouver Canucks to get out ahead in this series. You guys take a 2-0 early lead when the series returns to Vancouver where the Stars grab a win, but game four was to be played on May 4th and you're given a chance to get back in the lineup after sitting out a few games. How did you find out you were going to be back in the lineup? What was your reaction? What were your thoughts? What was going to be your role? Well, Pat said
1: you're coming back in. You're coming on the fourth line. I want you to create energy and uh, get some hits in there and Make sure that uh, the guys feel safe. Just play your game. Don't try to overdo it. Um, This is your chance tonight, and uh, you're in tonight.
0: Did the Stars have anybody that was a physical presence that you kind of had your eye on, or was it just a generality of just throw the body around and create some havoc?
1: Yeah, they had Shane Chirla, who was a tough guy at the time. He he was a physical player. He finished all his checks. He was kind of like me, you know, trying to... Create some energy for his team. and uh, But during the playoffs, there's hardly any fighting, so I wasn't really looking out for him in that way.
0: Was that around the time when Mark Tenorti was on the back line for the Stars? I remember him just laying some hits on guys.
1: Yeah, I don't think he was there. Uh, Mark played in Washington yep. the last I remember. He wasn't there in that playoff series when we played him in Dallas. He was a great player, Mark Tenorti. He was tough, he used to finish the check. And he was mean, so mean.
0: I'm noticing a trend here. This game four ends up going to overtime again. And Trevor Linden is quoted in the Vancouver Sun as saying, there were a few heart attacks on the bench. Do you recall any of these? (laughs) You do recall it then. Can you tell me, during overtime, in the playoffs, what's going through your head? Don't make a big mistake.
1: Play safe and wait for your chances. Wait until there's an outnumbered attack, but don't get out there and try to be a star.
0: Fair enough. The Canucks do pull away with this one. And coming up again, your pal Pavel Bure has another awesome game, two-goal game against the Canucks. And that ended the series as the Vancouver Canucks win the series 4-1. From everything I've heard, it sounds like it was a relief to finally get past the second round. Jeff Kortnoll was quoted as saying, I've gone through on the last two seasons and was here both summers in Vancouver, and I've always been answering... What's wrong with you guys, Gino? For you, how much of a relief was it? And I can tell by your laugh to just get on to the next round and be done with the second round.
1: Yeah, we we were happy, you know. Uh, during that five-year period, I think we won the most playoff series in the NHL, winning the Stanley Cup. But uh, we were happy to get through to the third round, and we we're really excited because we we're playing our our arch enemy, the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is a big rivalry in Canada. Vancouver and Toronto, the Pelicans don't like each other, so it was, it was an exciting time.
0: And I cannot wait to talk about this series. But before we do, can you kind of tell everyone around this era what the Toronto Maple Leafs were like? In the 80s, they were a little not so hot. The 90s, you know, the 2000s, and now they're this young, fast team. What were they like then?
1: They had a lot of older players, and they had a great coach. Pat Burns, you know, uh, Gilmore was having the, uh, Wendell Clark was a top guy who was playing with uh, with Doug and he was having a career here too. So it was a really exciting time
0: to play against them. You mentioned Wendell Clark and like you said, Dougie Gilmore, Dave Andertruck, the team was really loaded. Going into a series like this where they're ranked pretty high does Coach Pat Quinn come up with a defensive scheme, or does he just say, go out there, score your hearts out, and go get them, guys?
1: Well, Pat was always the guy that said, you got to play defense first. And if you play good defense, you'll get your offensive chances. So he said, guys, play good defense, and there'll be some, they'll take chances. And when we do, and when they do, bounce on them. And that's
0: what we did. Game one gets off to a start, and it takes place. And you end up getting actually a 10-minute misconduct during this game. Gino, I know that you had lots of penalty minutes over your career, but do you remember in the playoffs taking a misconduct or or what happened?
1: I don't remember taking that that misconduct, to be honest with you. Well, you only had
0: over 1,000 penalty minutes, so we'll let this 10 slide if you don't remember it. So not a big deal. Um, But this was a tough road loss for you guys. It really was. But what was the atmosphere like at Maple Leaf Gardens?
1: Oh, it was rocking. We went there, and it was, like, loud. The fans were into it. Even trying to get the bus into the Toronto Maple Leafs was, was a chore. There were fans all over the place, and they were excited, too, for going into the conference finals. You could tell they were pumped. They could see the Stanley Cup.
0: You're staying in Toronto, in the hockey capital of North America. Do fans... Ever, at that time, kind of try to mess with the away teams, maybe call the room a few times while they're sleeping to try to get guys up? Did you ever feel that off the ice, or was it just on the ice?
1: No, it was just on the ice. We never had any problems in Toronto off the ice. And uh, even the pads, they were really huge. uh, Maple leaf pads, but they were still polite and civil. And uh, it it was a great time to be playing hockey in Toronto. Game two.
0: The Russian Rocket dominated the headlines up to this point. But it was a different player that kind of came to the rescue for game two. It was Yurke Lume. I don't know a lot about this guy. What can you tell me about Yurke Lume?
1: He was uh offensive defensive who played with and They always played together. And uh he was our top D he was our big minute eater and great guy. I loved the game, played hard every night, and um him and Dana were forming formidable pair together.
0: And then you had Hedekin, was back there as well. Hedekin was with Jim Brown, I think, with with Jeff Brown. Okay, that makes sense. We crossed the country after Game Two and fly back to Vancouver for Games Three and Four, where the Canucks continue their winning ways. I know earlier in the year you were playing a lot with Pavel. Do you remember who you were playing with in the playoffs?
1: I was playing with Tim Hunter, Tim Hunter, and uh, well, John McIntyre. We were a grinding line. <laughs>
0: So the puck gets dropped, and I know that you can't—you're not out there to start a fight. You're out there to grind. Who would they typically in the NHL, or in this series, who would they typically match you up with? Was it the first line, third line? Any memories of that?
1: We were playing against the other team's fork line. They didn't really have any tough guys there on the fork line. It was, they had a, a grinding line, but uh, it wasn't a series where you had to worry about fighting or anything. Just make sure you get your hits and create some
0: room for your teammates. Game five, the Canucks close out the series off of this amazing goal by Greg Adams. Gino, this would send you to the Stanley Cup Finals. Do you remember this overtime goal?
1: Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. And uh, we we put them away, and the, the town just went crazy. The rink went nuts. We beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we're going to play the New York Rangers for the Stanley Cup Finals.
0: And this was a huge upset. So, of course, everybody in the in the city has got to be going crazy. But let's talk about Pat Quinn, the head coach. What is he telling you guys to kind of keep you guys focused? Because that's a pretty hard thing to do with all the excitement. And I would think it's very easy to, to lose concentration in a situation like that.
1: Well, as soon as the game was over, the next day we flew out. We went to somewhere in upstate New York and spent three or four days together, just the team bonding and to get away from distractions and uh, just to get ready
0: for the finals. You didn't even stay in Vancouver, I guess. You literally flew all the way to upstate. No, we
1: left left the next day and went to upstate New York.
0: Wow. And then what would you, I mean, you're up there for three or four days. I'm assuming you guys would practice at a local rink up there. What were you guys doing all day?
1: Just hanging out and uh, we had meetings. We were getting ready, scouting report on the Rangers, basically just taking hockey all day long.
0: You guys are getting ready to head into the next round, and it hasn't been decided who's going to be your opponent yet. It's either going to be the New York Rangers or the New Jersey Devils. Do you remember yep. kind of following this series at all, and what were your thoughts on the series?
1: We were hoping that the Devils would win.
0: I don't blame they you. As
1: stacked as, they were as stacked as Rangers, uh, but Stefan Matos scored that big overtime goal, and next thing you know, we're
0: playing the Rangers. Mark Messier, during Game 6, had made a statement that he was going to guarantee a win. And I think that was pretty bold. It was almost like Babe Ruth pointing to, to score his home run. What did people around the league think of that statement?
1: Uh, they, they knew Messi was a great leader at the time. And, uh, you know, he wasn't even the best player uh, on his team at that time. Brian Leach was. and uh, But he made the statement he was the captain of the team. And they were able to come back and win the game.
0: The Stanley Cup series is set to begin, and it will go to seven games. I I know that you were scratched, I believe, for all these games. Do you recall what that was all about? Was it Quinn just doing what he did before and wanting to go with a little more more of an offensive lineup?
1: Yeah, he wanted to go with an offensive lineup because the Rangers were stacked, and he decided that uh, he was going to play at Toski and Hunter on the fourth line, and that I was going to be scratched.
0: I'm sure that was pretty difficult to deal with, but you, better than anybody, had a chance to watch the series. What did your What were your thoughts on the series? You know, watching it from above. Uh, just
1: like how, how hard we worked, I remember we played the finals. Trevor had broken ribs, Clippy had a broken wrist, mm-hmm. and they still played every game like uh, they played their hearts out. Mm-hmm. I remember in Game Seven we. Uh, we were down 3 T and Leighton Lafayette had a wide-open net. He hit the post, could have made it 3-3. It could have went either way, and uh, but the Rangers ended up winning. It was the toughest thing I ever dealt with.
0: I can't even imagine. Back in Vancouver after this Game 7, evidently there were riots. When we-, we came back to the airport. There was 100,000 people
1: waiting for us at 5 o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh, my God. Well, I I guess I want to back up and ask you, you know, you go to Game 7. The team has a deflating loss. We always hear about what a team does after they win the Stanley Cup. But what does the other team do after something like that?
1: Uh, Everybody was down. We were young. We thought we'd be back there the next year and uh, we'd win it. You know, But we ended up getting one chance in my career to win the Stanley Cup. And that was the only chance I got
0: is it something looking back all these years that you still think about regularly? No, I
1: mean, we get together in the 93, 94 team every, every 10 years or whatever. And, uh, we're still all close friends. And we, we went through something that we'll never forget. We were underdogs in every round. And, uh, we took the mighty New York Rangers to game seven. Uh, we lost by one goal.
0: Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you land after the game There's 100,000 people At the airport How do you get home? I mean Can you walk me through The rest of that evening Or or what you remember of it?
1: Well we were We uh, We went through The town of Vancouver And we could see Windows were smashed And uh, Mayhem We didn't know what was going on But uh, the next day When we woke up We watched the news And we heard that there was a riot, so that was a little disappointing.
0: Following the riots, though, the city shows its true colors. 45,000 people gathered at BC Place Stadium. Gino, I thought you got together when you celebrate, but here you guys are getting together with the fans just to celebrate the season, even though it wasn't a win. Fans are chanting, Gino, Gino, Gino. Can you share with us kind of the feelings and emotions you had at this event and what you remember about it?
1: I remember going in on a convertible with all the guys. We all had a convertible car we were two per car, and the, the building was just locked, and it was unbelievable how much support we got and how proud the city of Vancouver was of us, and it made us uh, proud of ourselves.
0: How does something like that even come together? I mean, <clears throat> it, it, was that something organized by the team, or did just the city say, we're going to throw this party, we want you here?
1: I don't remember what, who organized it, but I think I'm pretty sure it was the city.
0: One thing I'm sure you do remember is the season ends and everybody travels in the offseason. And that summer, you actually did something I thought was really neat. You worked as an instructor at the Aboriginal Hockey Role Model School. I love this story because you were a guy that came up playing house hockey and now you're giving back. You were a, a mentor there. I think Chris Simon was there and I think Sheldon Surrey was there as well.
1: Yeah, Sheldon was there. Wayne Redden was there. Danny McCarthy. I,
0: I can't even imagine what a special moment that must have been to give back. And, and you're very open about your your background, which is you were one of the first Aborigine players.
1: Well, we used to love getting together, and we all came from First Nations communities, and we all knew how hard it was to leave home. And we wanted to tell the kids to, to work hard, and they could make their dream come true and that uh, if they left home, they could always come back home when it was all done. Uh, We were really proud of our heritage, and we really enjoyed doing the hockey schools.
0: I have to ask, he was a former Washington Capitol. I grew up watching him, and this guy used to give me nightmares. What was Chris Simon, or what is Chris Simon like, I should ask?
1: He was a big guy. He didn't drink at all at a party. He was uh, all business, and uh, he worked out hard. He was just a true nice
0: guy. As we kind of wind down the interview, this was a unique time in the National Hockey League. As the next year, the CBA situation would happen and there would be a lockout. Do you kind of remember that what that summer was like preparing for that lockout? Did you know a lockout was coming? Because if I'm not mistaken, didn't you guys attend training camp and then lockout?
1: Yeah, we went to training camp and then we got locked out. We didn't know it was coming. Uh, but uh, the powers that be decided that uh, they're going to lock us out
0: because they didn't like what was going on with the CBA. You're a young guy. Are you scared at all? I mean, you didn't have a family, but but are guys worried about, oh, God, we got to get back to work. We don't have paychecks coming in.
1: Well, the the, the Players Association got ready for it. And they were the checks, strike pay uh, for the guys. This was enough to get you by anyways.
0: So at least it, it got you through. Well, Gino, I can't thank you enough for coming on, but before we, we end, this was a magical season and probably one of the highlights of your career. Is there anything else from this season, any funny stories, any memories that you'd like to share?
1: No, I, I did all my talk. right now.
0: Well, tell you what, before we hang it up, though, uh, tell everybody what you're up to now, how your health is doing. I hear you're doing great. Please share that with everybody.
1: Yeah, I I... Uh, I... I work with the Aquilini family who, who own the Canucks. They have a development company. They build houses. And um, so I arranged a partnership with First Nations communities and the Aquilini's First Nation development.
0: That's great. That's great. If people want to find you, are you on social media? I think you're on Twitter, right? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Gino At Gino Gino Ogic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hold on one second. I'm going to stop this. Just one Just one O. Okay. Let's stop this real quick. <laughs> Gino, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It was awesome to hear from you. So glad that you are healthy. And I think everybody will agree with me on this. If we had more Gino chicks in the world, it would be a better place. So thanks again for coming on. Loved hearing the stories about Pavel Bure. He liked vodka, Russian vodka. Anyways, that's it. As I said in the intro, I got to go to work. So I'm going to go ahead and post this. We'll be back next week with another episode of snapshots in hockey history. And i will drop at 8 a.m. Hopefully I'll be a little bit more awake when I'm able to record the intro and outro. Appreciate all the positive feedback this week. Next week's episode is going to have something to do with the Chicago Blackhawks, just to give you a little teaser, specifically the Chicago Blackhawks from the mid eighties. So We will see you then. Enjoy the playoffs. Root for my Washington Capitals tonight. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday at 8 a.m. for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.